Welcome to another episode of Crossing Broad. I am your host, Kyle Pagan, and typically this is the most boring time of the year to host a sports show in the continental United States, but not today. Not today, people, because Josh Harris wants to build the gigantic fund mega complex, $1.3 billion, privately funded in downtown Philadelphia. I want to bring on my co-host for today, Rush Joy. Get his ass in here. There, there we go. Hey there. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm I'm contemplating with, with First Life uh, that I will be 38 when this stadium is is built. Uh, jo- Joel Embiid will be out of my life. Tyrese Maxey will be 30 years old. Yeah. Will, will be eliminated in their 12th uh, second round by this time. Wow. Probably have oh, a kid. Wow. You'll probably have six more. Um, mm-hmm. as a guy from Pottsville, how does it, mm-hmm. how does it feel? First thoughts on the stadium. Let's hear. It. Um, well, I let's, let's go over a couple of things here that are pretty important. We need to set the context here. This is not the first time that the Sixers have, uh, done feeling around about, uh, the possibility of building a new arena. Um, <sighs> this one feels like it has legs. So I, I reached mm-hmm. out to somebody at Comcast Spectacor this morning um, and in the past, when I've talked to this person or when I've engaged with them, there's typically been a, a feeling of, uh, that's great. You know, they, they say that kind of thing all the time, but it never really bears fruit. Like they're, they're just posturing, but this time I did not get that feeling. Now mm. I'm not saying that there's anybody over at Spectacord that's like, you know, sounding all the alarm bells. I don't want to make this sound as if this is an imminent thing that Spectacor believes that it's all, you know, going to hell in a handbasket. Um, but let me, let me read their, their quote. I put this out this morning and I believe you also had it in the post over on crossing broad Spectacor said, we have it. We've had a terrific partnership with the Sixers for decades and look forward to hosting the team in this world-class facility until at least 2031. That's when the lease expires. Uh, we invested hundreds of millions alongside the city Phillies and Eagles to make the South Philadelphia stadium district an incredible destination for sports entertainment and our passionate fans. We think it rivals any in the nation and will continue to draw the best events. The 2026 FIFA World Cup is a perfect example. That's swell. Really nice. Uh, it's a solid enough statement. But there has to be some panic. Has that feels like be. a breakup. That feels like a breakup. I, I wrote it, it, I wrote it, it certainly, in the, I wrote it in the post saying, that's you just got broken up with. You just went to Ibiza mm-hmm. and you posted on your next Instagram saying, living my best life to let your ex-boyfriend know that you're living your best life when you're not really living your best life. Yeah, it's it's troubling. Um, there are a lot of things, and I know that we we have a bunch of different things that we're going to touch on today. But uh, you know, you, you look at it's it's hard to say, right? Because we're looking at nine years away, so you can't look at, at the current state of a team and say you know it's a massive loss because you don't know, uh, and and you can't use the current state of the Philadelphia Flyers to say like what a missed opportunity here, or like how bad is this going to be for Comcast Spectacor? Think of all that lost revenue. You can't really do that either. Because you don't know what the Flyers are going to look like in nine years. You also don't know if Comcast is going to own them at that point. You don't know if, mm-hmm. if they're going to cut their losses with the team. If, if they go through you know, three or four more years of you know, poor play, bad ticket sales, etc. But on a fundamental level, here, here's the, the feeling out that I've done with friends and with other people who are in this area. And I'm sure you can speak to this as well. There's an initial apprehension because a center city stadium brings with it the belief that there's going to be horrible traffic. Um, it's going to clog up the city even more. And then the more that people start to think about it and the more that they look at subway lines coming in, the Patco station, uh, et cetera, advancements in technology, right? Remember people, this is nine years away. Yeah. Like you, you look at that and then you go, okay, so you're telling me I don't have to drive into the city. I can, I can get off at like, say the Paoli station. I could take regional rail in and then I could transfer to the subway. It, it feels like a more accessible, uh, setup. And the, the big thing here is I think that Harris and Blitzer have learned uh, through some of their previous potential uh, plans in the past what does and does not land well with Philadelphia. And the number one thing that they appear to have gotten right here is that there are zero public dollars uh, being mm. requested with this plan. Now, it does say that the tax breaks that exist, I believe, through 2035 as part of the uh, the current mall and like shopping area that's there would continue through so that that is like a nice perk that that's not nothing that is definitely something 
But at the same time, when you don't have to say we're looking for $200 million, $500 million in taxpayer money, it, it does become a much easier sell, I believe, to the public. And if you look at what the Inquirer article kind of outlined, you've got a number of labor unions saying they're looking forward to like working with local high schools to try to, you know, bring in the next uh, wave of Votech workers, of, of, you know, hands-on workers. And it's going to create 700 construction jobs and everything. Like it, this feels like a much more fleshed out plan than what they've previously done. So it's interesting, I think... This is probably the most realistic opportunity and the most realistic plan they've put out in the last two years or three years that they've been looking at doing something like this. So you're taking the, we're infusing the economy, we're doing good, we're creating jobs, everyone's happy, or not everyone's happy, but like we're, we're getting some people into the neighborhood, all that stuff. I'm going to take the other side. I'm going to be Kyle, okay. mid-20s guy. This is an absolute win for the city. I didn't understand how much I needed I needed tailgating or even a stadium in the middle of the city before I went out to Wrigley, before I went out to Fenway, before I went even to Nashville, Bridgestone Arena. I don't think I didn't go to any Predators games, but I know they were very good when I was going out there and they would shut down the street for the playoff games. I just think yeah. there is so much opportunity. If if you've never been to Wrigley and Fenway, I would recommend getting there. You can you can sit at the bar, you can get a table, you can slam beers with your friends and basically touch the stadium. You can even go to a bar at Fenway where you can look out and see the outfield. It has this whole uh, a window where you can see an outfield and you can actually watch a game from there. This, I think, is such a massive win for the city because I said that nine years ago, it was 2013, Uber was, I think, one year, maybe two years in Philadelphia. So it just tells you kind of like what the advances, we might have Elon Musk's Hyperloop by, by 2031 or 2032. We might not even be worrying about SEPTA. And the one thing is that I'm, I'm the only thing I'm scared about, because I will be 38, I'll probably be out of the city, unfortunately, by then I'll probably have a kid, which is the scariest thing in the world by then. It's very reliant on SEPTA. But if there's anything I know about billionaires in this city is they can get things done if they want to get them done. So SEPTA wants to be shit and not be able to get people down during rush hour and whatnot. Billionaires will find another way to do it. So I think yeah. this is a massive win for the city. I'm jealous that people are, are, are going to be experiencing this. I want to, I want to throw a little bit of a conspiracy theory at you. Now I think this is for real. Love it. Don't get Love me wrong. I think, I, I, I think this stadium is for real. And I think you, you did a great job of, of adding context to why it is for real. I love that you're working the phones, by the way. I like that potentially Josh Harris, I saw this floated around on Twitter, Josh Harris and David Blitzer, they go out, they get these plans in order. They say, hey, we want to build a stadium right on the fashion district. Now we all know that Citizens Bank Park tried to do it. It was a little deeper over, probably by more of the bridge in Chinatown, more Chinatown mm -hmm. area. And they obviously were told no. And it was met with a lot of anger uh, from community, from everybody, from the government. What if the city pushes back on this, cancels plans, and forces them to now build the stadium in Camden. And now if everyone gets upset at the city of Philadelphia and not the Sixers, and this is actually what Blitzer and Harris wanted all along. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't I either. Don't. But, but I, I do think that the city of Philadelphia is terribly run. I do think that the mayor is incompetent and has already expressed how excited he is to not be the mayor anymore. I think the DA has done a terrible job. Um, it, it's not great. The optics are bad, whatever. Uh, it, no, ultimately, Kyle, does any of it matter? No, because whoever runs on the democratic ticket in the city of, of city of Philadelphia is going to win. They're going to be in. You have to hope that whoever comes in next is going to do a good job of kind of tying this over and hopefully fixing some of the issues, especially with homicide that exists in the city. That said, and this is not, it's not political. It's just numbers. Um, if, if we look at this, uh, I don't think that Harrison Blitzer would be this far along working with who they're working with, Adelman, uh, who has a history of working uh, massive projects within the city, understands the city. I don't think you make all of those inroads. I don't think that you're talking to labor unions. I don't think that you're doing all of this with the ulterior motive of the city, you know, once again, turning you down. I think there was also a councilman that was quoted in that Inquirer article as well that said what a, what a big boost this could be for the city. Unless you've been, and you you outlined a couple 
uh, of places, a couple of cities in the U.S. that have, you know, stadiums there. Uh, if you go to Europe and you get to experience what it's like, especially around like the World Cup with public viewing, with restaurants and everything being open down the corridors leading to like the Olympic stadiums, right? Like I think of Berlin. When you get to experience what that's like, that's something we don't have here. Now, whether you want to say that the sports complex is excellent because it's technically like out there, it's by some, you know, major roads, major highways. And mm-hmm. let's be real. Getting out of Wells Fargo Center sucks. Mm-hmm. It takes a long time to get in and it takes a long time to get out. That's not going to change. Uh, they have not remedied that situation. You don't have the Patco station there. You don't have regional rail there. It's all on the transfer to what is it? The Broadline. Mm-hmm. So if we if we look at this realistically, uh, there is a much better chance that if you're trying to shoot for having a nice night with friends, with family, whatever, going to a Sixers game, that this is going to bring in a, a potential influx of jobs. It's going to probably uh, fill out more business space that admittedly that fashion district has had an issue with since COVID. They've lost a lot of business there. The Can't be a fashion own- district and your and your biggest place is Ross. Yes. And and that <laughs> the owners of that facility, I believe, and that land have said that they are in favor of this plan, you know, because they think that it's going to potentially reinvigorate the city. It makes their their land also much more valuable. It's going to be a hell of a sell on their part. Hard um, Rock is pumping uh, their fists right now, baby. <laughs> it is so hard to look at this plan and say that it's bad. You know, like, yeah. what's the argument? You know, the, the, the argument is this traffic. Is the, I think that's yeah, the main bullshit. argument. Because but- again, you have all of this public transportation that does need to get fixed, does need to get remedied. There is no doubt about it. But like I look out at, at you know areas that I've lived in in the past. I look out at like Valley Forge, King of Prussia, Phoenixville, uh, Royersford, Pottstown. There's like – I forget what the name of the, the train thing is. I still see the posts about it. And the idea is that they want to try to re, you know reconnect regional rail. The, the train lines are, are owned by Norfolk Southern. It's a whole thing about freight versus passenger and, like, do you have to electrify the, the tracks and everything? All confusing. But by the time 2030, what is it, 2031 rolls around, mm-hmm. one would hope that you have been able to iron that kind of thing out. And maybe this provides a catalyst to get that kind of regional rail line reestablished and to, and to continue that kind of effort, you know, at a state level of expanding out regional rail. There, there is like such a big catalyst, uh, ac- you know, aspect of this. I, I have a hard time if I'm the Sixers, right? If I'm Harrison Blitzer, I want to get the most value for this team when I go to sell. How do you do it, Kyle? You sell a stadium with it. You oh, can't bricks, do it with baby. Wells Fargo Center. So I, I don't blame them in the least bit. I mean, think about it. If you spend half a billion dollars on this arena, the Sixers are probably already valued at like what one point three, maybe two billion dollars, maybe more. Mm-hmm. Ten years from now, take the inflation, right? It's probably going to be three and a half, four million. You add an arena onto that, I mean, you're just talking about like a drop in the bucket at that point. It's absolutely worth the investment on their part. I, I don't see how this doesn't get done. If the city gets in the way of it, uh, then then we have to reevaluate the conversation. With the reevaluate the city. Hey, before we get Clay on, yeah. what bank do you think gets the naming rights? Ooh. Philadelphia Credit Union, Key Bank, Yo, Chase. Does Wells Fargo? Does Wells Fargo Wells bail? Fargo, no, they, they don't. They don't. I, I don't know. BB and T. Uh, maybe they were. Maybe BB and T got word of these plans and they were holding out. Now they're. Now they're. That's they're, why. Uh, that's why they bailed on up. the. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, on the music venue. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's, that is a really good question. People should drop that in the comments if you're watching on the live stream on YouTube. Let us know what uh, what bank you think is going to get the naming rights. I can't imagine they're they're going to go with a crypto company this far out. We'll have to see where that is in uh, in ten years. We will have to see. Yeah, we will see that. But man, it'll be interesting. Fanatics Ooh. Arena. Actually, that's Yo, stupid now, that we didn't even think that about is, that. That is so brilliant. It will be Fanatics Arena. Because yeah. if you don't think Michael Rubin's going to be pumping some serious Boku bucks into this place, you haven't been paying attention. I love it. Fanatics Arena. Great. All right. So our guest today, 1215, Clay Harbor, former Eagle, former Lion, former Jaguar, former Patriot. We wanted to bring him on because I don't know if you guys saw this. There was a video that went viral from I Am Athlete Pod about LaShawn McCoy and Asante Samuel talking about Namdi Asuma and Namdi Asuma getting, getting burnt the first practice of training camp when they just signed him. I think it was a five-year, $60 million deal. Clay saw it, quote-tweeted it, raised his hand, said, hey, 
that was actually me. So let's bring on Clay Harbor because I want to talk to him only about not only about Namdi, but I, I, we got to talk about the Dream Team sometime. But Clay, thanks for coming on, man. How's everything going today? I'm great. I'm out here in uh, beautiful Chicago, Illinois. Chicago, honestly, unbelievable city in the summer. If you're ever going to visit Chicago, if you want to come check it out, come in the summer. Don't come in the winter. It's two different cities. But uh, when it's nice out, it's really it's really tough to beat. But a uh, beautiful day out here. I'm doing well. Appreciate you guys having me on. So we were just talking because uh, Philadelphia, the 76ers just decided they wanted to put a stadium in the middle of the city and downtown and whatnot. And, and I used Wrigley and Wrigleyville as my as my main uh, example of it being the best possible option. Have you been out to Wrigleyville? Uh, all the time. I, it's, it's funny. It's funny. Summertime Chicago. If you, if the, the best thing you can do is go out to Wrigleyville, a day game, you go have some drinks at a bar, have a couple beers, walk up and down Wrigleyville, go to the game, have a dog, have another beer, walk Thank back you. out. You're back in Wrigleyville and you have another. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. You're right Thank there. You. you just walk everywhere. You can jump on the L train to get home. Mm-hmm. Wrigley, Wrigley Field in Wrigleyville is an experience in itself. If you've never done it. Highly recommend it. And Josh Wait, Harris, can I ask you really quickly, that was a free endorsement. From a play- from a from a player's perspective here, like I don't know, in the game day preparation, maybe it doesn't matter. But that that feeling of going into a stadium that's within the city confines, like I think of Indy, right? But like uh, when when you have that versus being out, kind of you know, in a parking lot where Lincoln Financial Field is, is there any difference to that? Like as you go in and you're kind of getting yourself mentally prepped for a, a game to feel the the exuberance of the city, the excitement of the city versus a parking lot. Oh, yeah. You, you definitely feel that energy when you're downtown, you're in the city. You know, sometimes you're going to a you're playing a team and you realize that the stadium isn't even in the city that it says it's in. Like, I mean, obviously you go to like, say, New York Jets or New York Giants, like me as a rookie going to play the Giants for the first. I'm like, wow, I'm going to go to New York City and like see the city. And then, you know, next thing you know, we're out here in the in the Meadowlands. I'm like, oh, this this is not New York City. But there's definitely something to be said for that. I do like the Philly location. You got Xfinity Live right there. You got all the stadiums. Um, I also lived on Penrose and Patterson, so I literally could walk to the stadium every day, walk to the NovaCare Complex if I wanted to. I still drove. Don't judge me. But, uh, you know, I I definitely think there's a step up in energy once you get that stadium in the middle of the city. It's okay. Uber wasn't really around when you were here in in Philadelphia, so we'll we'll give you that one. Not Jersey? A lot of your teammates are big, like Morristown, Mount Laurel, Cherry Hill. Why Penrose? Um, So a lot of the younger guys, you know, that didn't have families and stuff, it was close to the stadium. It was the Packer Apartments right there off of, uh, you know, the corner of Penrose and Patterson, basically, halfway to the NovaCare Complex. And it was just so quick and easy. My roommate was uh, Kurt Coleman. Me and him lived together for a couple of years out there in the, you know, in the, in the Packer apartments. All right. So I, yeah. we wanted to bring you on because we did see that clip that went viral with LaShawn and Asante talking on I Am Athlete Pod. It wasn't Brent Selleck who burnt Nambi Asama the first training camp practice. It was, in fact, you. Can you kind of like set the scene? What was the drill? What was going on? Were people all around watching this? Because obviously the guy just signed a $60 million deal. He's going up against you. Let's see how he goes. You know, I used to have this clip saved because, you know, I sent it to all my buddies in the film room and I was looking around and it wasn't saved. But honestly, it was one of my favorite routes to run the sluggo. Um, and I don't, maybe Brent went against him some, some other time, but the play we're talking about, Namdi just gets there. We're in the first set of team drills. The first time we're going, I think we only had shells on, but, you know, as a receiver and a tight end, it doesn't really change the way we play the game outside running routes. The only thing that's the same. And uh, I just remember looking at Namdi, and he's playing off man. I'm like, this is definitely man, single high safety. Why is he looking inside so much? I'm like, it's typically a zone look. I'm like, okay. then I'm like, okay, if I really sell this this slant, I think he's gonna he's gonna bite. You know, so yeah. one, two, three, plant, sell the slant. He thinks he's about to pick off the backup tight end. Oh, this is child's play. Hit a good stick. Got got around him and and cruise for a you know sixty five yard score, and uh, you know everybody's like I remember Namdi talking trash to our offensive coordinator Marty Mornerwick. Oh really, Marty? We're gonna throw a sluggo to the tight end, and then everybody's like, oh okay. Like you run back, you know, you jump, you chest bump your boys, yeah. and uh, is is a is a fun memory. I, I always had uh, you know looking back at those days at the Eagles practices, but. 
Yeah, I, I, I vividly remember that. And I saw LaShawn, like, wait a second, that was me scoring that touchdown on Namdi when he first got here. And, you know, everybody was kind of giving him a hard time about it. Yeah, we'll send this clip to I Athlete. We'll make sure they uh, they update their story. They'll put a disclaimer on the there next one, hopefully. Yeah, appreciate it. <laughs> so when you're in that position and, and you're going up against, you know, the big free agent signing, uh, I'm used to talking to hockey players, and hockey players always talk about the team, the team, and nobody ever likes to be incendiary. And I'm not saying I want to put you in a bad position here, but mm-hmm. you got a $60 million guy lining up against you. Uh, you're trying to prove yourself. You're trying to solidify a major role on the team. And you've got this big money guy lined up against you. You burn him. You feel good about it. But in the moment, do you also feel bad in that like, oh, shit, maybe this guy's not as good as we thought he was? Like, does that go through your head or is it more of a after practice, you kind of decompress and you go, I don't know. Now, I, now I'm a little bit concerned. Well, I, after the tweet, I did like do some disclaimers. I'm like, dude, in practice and like training camp and stuff, I was literally a practice Hall of Famer. And I'm not BSing. Like, <laughs> I, I did that to a lot of people when I was on when I was a rookie on practice squad. I was the, the starting defense hated me. Quentin Mike, all these guys, uh, Ernie Sims, Trent Cole. I'm catching touchdowns after touchdowns for some reason. You know, I didn't get the opportunity. I was a little bit tighter in the games. I didn't perform to the same level. Yeah, I played eight years as a top 40 tight end a couple times, according to PFF Bleacher Report. You know, I did have some successful years. But in practice, you know, I could run a four or five. I, you know, Chip Kelly moved me to wide receiver for a reason. Like I was a Hall of Famer if, if, you, if you go based on practice stuff, guys. So I was pretty decent there. And, and you know, the coaches knew that. The players knew that. But um, – I think a lot of times in the NFL, you see like when a guy comes in, he's well-known or he's big time for agent, but he's in a different scheme. So you can't blame him if he's playing his own scheme as a cornerback and you put him into a man scheme or something like that, or a receiver that's kind of, you know, used to being a slot guy running a West coast offense. You go in the East coast, you know, you put different. So guys would change. We see it all the time. But like, wow, did you, like he's, that's him. Like that's the guy we signed. Like I've seen it happen time and time again. I'm not going to like name names, but a lot of times you get this like big time free agent, just going back to like that year, like receivers, you know, like we brought in like Steve Smith or like guys like, you know, I remember when I was a tight end, they brought in like Donald Lee from the Packers. I'm like, that's Donald Lee, huh? Just like guys that you like, they're different schemes. They get asked to do different things and they're just not as successful in this scheme as that scheme. So as a player, you kind of know that you're like, yo, if, if we're playing, you know, off and zone coverage, like this guy's probably pretty good as far as man to man corner, like guy like Nomdi's like six foot three, maybe six, two. Mm-hmm. I don't know how tall he was. He's big, lanky guy. You know, he's a zone type presence. I know you got guys like Jalen Ramsey that can do both now, but typically you get those lanky guys. They're not as quick to stay with a guy on man to man coverage. How much is it scheme and how much is it talent? At the end of the day, I mean, I guess the greats can, you know, the greats can transfer over and they'll be good in whatever scheme you have them in. But a lot of times, like I've seen, like, say, Julius Thomas, one of my good friends, Julius Thomas is a great player in Denver. He has 15 touchdowns, you know, 800 yards, you know, the year before he comes to Jacksonville. Julius has two touchdowns and 300 yards. Did Julius mm-hmm. Thomas get that much worse? No. The Jaguars, we were the worst offense in the league. We didn't have opportunities. He's not playing with Peyton Manning anymore. People are like, oh, what happened to Julius Thomas? I go, dude, trust me. This, You're the worst offense in the league. You don't make it to the red zone. You don't get the opportunities. Julius was the same player he's always been. The, the difference in that year that people start, got down on Julius was because this, the scheme. Like I had a couple good years in Jacksonville. I had 300 yards and three touchdowns. Like, okay, you put me in New England or De- Denver, like you might have some big numbers. Like, oh damn, this guy had eight, eight hundred yards and ten touchdowns. But yo, when you're when you're in that scheme or a bad offense, bad team, whatever it is, you know, maybe you're not. Maybe Nomdi's not getting the same pressure with Philly. He was getting. We have a couple of good defensive end. The cornerback, the quarterbacks. You know, he's never comfortable in the pocket. He's going to be throwing. I mean, a lot of it matters and mm-hmm. it changes. I do think the greats will be good in whatever scheme. But there's so many moving parts when you when you plug a guy in here or there that you never know what's going to happen. And if you look at the Eagles this year, I mean, hey, they got an all-star team. We got to see what's going to happen once you get them on the field, though. You can't say that. Clay, you can't say that. We're not allowed to say dream team. We're not allowed to say all-star team. No, you know what? Actually, I want to ask you this. 
Miles Sanders came out, caught him an all-star team. A.J. Brown, a couple weeks later, was like, eh, you know, pump the brakes a little bit. We're a good team, but we got to play some, fo- some football. Now, when Vince Young made that comment, were you guys like, all right, yeah, we are a dream team. You know, we, we signed DRC. We signed Namdi. We have all these guys. We have Vic. Or were people like kind of like, ah, oh, shit, man, we still got to play football. What was it like in the locker room after the dream team comments? Because that just that, those comments just took the whole season by storm. And this was so funny. It was hilarious to me. And, and you got to remember the guys like Steve Smith, the receiver, Ronnie Brown. Like we had a bunch of guys that were big name guys at some point in their career. But here's the thing. Vince Young had just got signed. I remember the day we're at training camp. Vince Young hasn't took a snap as an Eagle. The guy literally got off the plane, his first press conference. I love Vince Young to death. I got funny Vince Young stories for you. Maybe one day we'll talk about him. Um, Were you on a plane that he rented by with all of him and his friends? No, but I mean, a couple of times, Vince, we'd go to a bar and Vince would put, you know, couple grand down or buy everybody in the bar shots like the guy was it was he's hilarious love the guy um vince's first fresh off the plane first interview he's like oh man dream team nobody's even met him yet he hasn't even met the team this guy's the backup quarterback and the media just takes it and runs with it like vince we've been talking about this as a group and everybody thinks this and it's just like this big thing we think we're the dream team we're just gonna go and this guy hasn't taken a snap he's our backup quarterback and then, obviously, Miles Sanders, he's the starting running back for the Eagles for the last couple of years. You know, he when he says it, it's something different. But the way the media took this from a guy whose first interview fresh off the plane hasn't played in one practice, met one player. Oh, my gosh. They think they're the dream team. The most ridiculous, blown out of proportion thing I've seen in my entire life. And obviously, the media will run with stuff like that. Oh, the dream team turned into a nightmare. Bruh. Vince Young literally just walked out of um, baggage claim and you guys got him on an interview. Hasn't met one person. And that's the whole, that's the whole season. All you're going to say a good, good job, bro. You know, that was my thoughts on it. It it was, it was a shitty season. I know a lot of us were, were looking forward to it. I mean, it was, but did, were you kind of like, like I, I never played football. So like when Andy moved Juan Castillo from like the offense who he's, he's coached, he coached the defense, I think, for one year in his career, to the defense coordinator. Were you in the, like, kind of like, I was kind of like, and I never played football, like, what the hell's going on here? That was kind of a, an interesting move. <laughs> that was an interesting move. I remember everybody's like, wait, Juan coaches defense? And everybody's <laughs> like, okay, Juan's like a hardworking guy, and the dude would, the dude was literally the hardest worker. But at some point, you know, look at Michael Jordan. I'm the hardest worker in the world. He put a baseball bat in his hand. He's batting 150. You know, I love the guy, but like, you know, he's the greatest basketball player. But at some point, there's some natural talent that comes in there as hard as Juan's working. Like, this guy doesn't know defense. I'm I'm just a tight end. I'm not going to pay attention to this. But these defensive guys are like, what? And the thing is, we had some big time coaches on our on our team. You know, we had Mike Caldwell, who's a he's the Jaguars defensive coordinator now. We had um, who? Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles was who I was thinking of. Todd Bowles was literally the guy that they, they should have put as the uh, coordinator. And we had Sean McDermott on um, the year previous, but everybody was a little, okay, what? Juan, Juan coaches defense? Thought he was an, the offensive line guy. I'd be like, what if they put like, a defensive like a line like, coach in the tight ends meeting? Would you been like, it's like somebody filling in an application and they yeah. have a drop down menu and it's like he accidentally yeah. clicked on the wrong thing. Like, how, who yeah. the hell else in their mind comes up? Wild. I'm glad that it wasn't just yeah. everybody on the outside thinking it was nuts. It was weird. Honestly, it was there was a lot of talk in the locker room, like, wait, like and but everybody's like, okay, maybe it'll work out. Like Juan's very hard work. The dude would sleep at the at the the the, the, the Novacare complex. You'd literally have he had a cot and like blankets there. You'd see him in the morning, dude's got bags under his eyes, just been up all night watching film. You felt bad for him. He's trying to learn defense for the first time <laughs> in his career. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> trying to learn what cover two is. Um, yeah. So you were on The Bachelor, and I will probably admit my girl. Well, I will admit my girlfriend is so happy that you're like on right now. This is probably the most women we've ever had listen or watch this program. Yeah. <laughs> um, I got to ask you, what, what's tougher, an NFL training camp with Andy Reid and Bill Belichick, or filming The Bachelor the first night? Many people don't don't know this. This is my this is my favorite part of The Bachelor. The first two, the first night where you come out of the limo, you have to do your your spiel and everything when you meet them, but they film the entire night correct like through yeah. to the morning so oh yeah you're, you're you're not sleeping you're getting out you're going to like nine o'clock eight o'clock you're not done till like seven in the morning yeah what's tougher 
st- like staying there, like training camp, obviously it's longer days, but like you're trying to impress potentially your wife over a 12 hour period. Yeah. The odds aren't good there guys. But anyways, um, <laughs> first training camp I've ever been to Andy Reed training camp. The first year, the second year was a lockout year. They changed the rules. Okay. The first year, the wild West, there was 24, including rookie minicamp. I had 24 straight days of padded practice. Most of them two days. The, the hardest thing I've ever experienced in my life to this day. I go, I remember calling my brother, I mean, my brother really close. And, you know, I got drafted the whole family. Got, like, bro, you know, I'm a hard worker. I'm a weight room guy. This stuff is crazy. I don't know how these guys do it. I, I don't think this is for me. I don't care what they're paying me. This is incredible. And then the, the, the hardest thing you can imagine, you know, it's the Wild West. The next year we had the lockout on cap. They came back. They said you have to have, you can only have like four padded practices in a row or three. Incredibly different. I only had one year of it, but if you ever, if you ever hear like these old guys talk about back when I played, mm-hmm. I only got one year of it. I mean, I played eight active seasons, right? And um, got hurt on my ninth. I probably would have been two years with the old training camp. It was really? that different. It was that hard. And these careers, these guys, the guys that lasted that long in the old days, I don't know how they did it. That being said, if you compare it up to The Bachelor, I have to go that first year of training camp. And afterwards, honestly, training camp was pretty easy. Not easy, but you couldn't do two-day practices. So Clay Harper, for anyone listening, Clay Harper says The Bachelor is easy to get through than training camp. I like this. Yeah. you broke your you broke your wrist in the bachelor. So technically yeah. you got more hurt on the bachelor than you did on training camp. But the real story is that I was with um so I was with the Saints that year, right? In the first yeah. game of the year, I broke my toe and broke my wrist in the same game and uh, I was out for the year. And the the surgeon didn't do a good job and it never felt healthy. It never I'm like, dude, there's something wrong here. It's still swollen and he cleared me. And he's like, "No, it's you know, he's taking he's like you know, it's fine. Misdiagnosed me, told me I was clear. I'm like, fine. Bachelorette comes calling a random friend, knew somebody they're trying to get me on. I say, okay, I've seen, you know, Jesse Palmer went from like a guy who's on college game day, you know, Jordan Rogers, uh, Aaron Rogers, brother, like these guys, like, you mean it's good for exposure. I'm open to meeting someone too. Like, Hey, maybe this could lead to like a cool job or something you know, ESPN college football, Jordan, or, uh, you know, Jordan Rogers, Jesse Palmer, guys like that. I think it'd be a cool experience. I'm a single guy. I'm open to this. And, um, of course these damn producers, you know, you don't know what they're doing. I'm like, what's the worst that could happen in a dating show? I've never really watched it at this point. I'm like, okay, you know, what's the worst that could happen? I get some, whatever, get some cool job, whatever. What's the worst that could possibly happen? I get my Instagram profile. Just, yeah. You know, you, Whatever. So then I see that they're doing a football date. So I go, okay, this probably be flag football. There's no way we show up and they got hockey pads for us. <laughs> then they want us to do these tackling, full tackle. These proofs. I'm like, guys, I'm like, come on now. And they got me out on this day. They're trying to get me to do stuff. At first I'm not doing anything. They have us in a game with hockey pads. And I'm like, dude, this is so, this is so unsafe, the stuff they had us wearing. And I, I didn't, have, didn't even have a size 14 cleats. I wore size 14s. I couldn't wear any cleats. I'm wearing uh, basketball shoes out there. Everybody else got cleats on. So I'm trying. I'm just like, I'm going to be a quarterback. I'm not going to do anything. My team's losing. So at the end of the game, I'm like, I'm like okay, let me go and like try to score a touchdown against this male model, you know, this, uh, this dictionary salesman here, you know, this guy over, you know, all these random bachelor guys. And, uh, so I start running at the very end of the game. The, this is not made up. Very last play, I go in and a winning touchdown, stiff arm a guy, and I just feel my wrist. I go, this stuff was never fixed. First time I did anything with it. Pop. I just felt it crumble. Yeah. And I go, yeah, I broke my wrist. You know, I, but realistically, it was re-injured from the surgery I had. I go back to a specialist. He's like, yeah, dude, you tore your scaphoid lunate. Like, are you sure you did this? Like, I'm like, no, it was like this for a while. So I had to go get surgery, ended up recovering from the surgery, was going to go back. I had a tryout with the Buffalo Bills the next year to go back right before training camp. Really great roster. And um, I probably, yeah, I got two, three more years left in me. I was feeling pretty good at that point. But um, freak accident, I like ran into this wall because I had to train out in New York City, try to speed this story up. 
I'm on the field with the Bills. Brian Dable, my old um, tight end coach, brought me in. Sean McDermott, they, you know, hey, if you're healthy and in shape, we're going to sign you. We think you're going to be the two this year. Perfect. Tore my groin in the middle of the workout. That's how my career ended. was out for six months. Had probably six, seven calls throughout that whole season. Couldn't do it. My groin was never, was never healthy that whole year. The following year, I feel good. I'm 100% healthy. Everybody's like, dude. You broke your wrist and toe with the with the Saints, and then you missed the whole year because you tore your groin in a workout. Like you're done, but realistically, I felt as good as I had ever felt. And I'm like, I know, I know it's crazy, but like, just bring me in for a workout. I'll sign a waiver, like whatever. Like, no, dude, like we're going younger. So that's how my career ended. Are you officially retired? No, you did. You didn't have. You didn't have the 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 necessarily like the most negative end though on the other front. Like you do eventually go to paradise. Which was uh, something to see. Uh, After they tell me I'm done, I go to Bachelor in Paradise. And I actually started dating this girl from The Bachelor. Um, I randomly met her at a party in L.A. and we just hit it off. We dated. We honestly dated for like five months. And um, and um, I go to Paradise. And if we have any Bachelor fans out there, they'll probably know the drama. Her name is Angela. And um, the producers, and they're trying to meet me on Paradise. I'm like, well, my, you know, my career is basically over. Like all these teams I'm trying to hit up for a workout. Like, dude, you're so I'm like, yeah, let's see what happens in paradise. I'm like, the only thing I don't want you to do is like, don't bring on Angela because she's a bachelor person. She was on the last in paradise. I'm like, I don't want to like get our relationship that was completely off this camera, mm-hmm. off the show, like brought on to TV. And they're like, yeah, we won't, we won't bring her in. Like, this is, this is no, we just want you to be happy and you to find someone. I'm like, cool. All right. If that's the case, let me, let me go to paradise, give this thing a shot. Show up to paradise two weeks in, you know, Angela walks down, starts yelling at me for like all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, these guys are good. I should have knew reality television. Like you guys got me. You guys got me. That was the, that was the wedding, right? Like there, there was like a whole thing. There was like the whole clip. Uh, That season. I remember you also got into it with uh, Christian, right? You were with Nicole at that point. He came down. He's like, I'm going to take your girl. Let me ask you. Cause you like, you played in the NFL. You're yeah. a big guy. All right. You pretty much break anybody who's on the show. Yeah. How hard is it to not do that? Uh, knowing that millions of people are watching on national TV when something like that happens. I mean, obviously the thought goes in your mind. So Christian, like the dude's, the dude's in like soap operas, right? He's like this smooth, like Hispanic, like, like very smooth dude. I'm like, who is this guy? Like, where'd this guy come from? Like Rico Suave, like soap opera. He's literally a soap opera star. And um, the guy, but he's like 5'9", nothing is 5'9", guys. Dude, I'm 6'4", 250 pounds. And this guy's over here, like, you know, trying to be all swag and all short, you know, confident and stuff. And I'm pretty good at self-control. But there was a couple of times I'm like, bro, like, really? Like, you want to talk trash right now? <laughs> like, come on. But I'm good at, like, once once I get in between the football lines, That's that was my uh, – my release. And now I just go to the gym all the time whenever I'm like needing to do that and just take it on some weights, but it gets hard sometimes when, when they brought on Angela going back and going back into that franchise again, like was, was that ever something that you were kind of like open to doing again? Or did the fact that they brought Angela back in when they said they wouldn't like, did that kind of sour the whole thing? What soured the whole thing for me was when I went on bachelor in paradise, um, Mm -hmm. I realized how much they could edit and make somebody make some story look different than what really happened. And I've heard those stories, but I didn't experience it my first time on the bachelor, but on the, on the bachelor in paradise, I really saw the edit. Like they, I got the the bad end of the edit and a lot of things with bachelor in paradise. Like people were pissed off at me for not like proposing or getting engaged. And I've kept telling them this, like, hey, here's where I'm at. And what I would say was, I go, hey, I've said, I said it on probably 150 interviews they had me on, talking to the girl, talking to Nicole. I said it a million times, but they never – I was just like, I want to date you. I want to leave here with you. I'm not ready to get married. I want to take this slow, have a real relationship, and see where it goes. My parents were never married. I've seen a lot of bad relationships. I think that we can have something special – I just want to date you in real life before proposing or doing anything like that. And then they, they make it seem like I'm just randomly like leaving her, like right, trying to make me look like an asshole. And All seems after, fair. I'm like, yeah. And then this whole conversation I had with Angela, they're moving parts around and like trying to make me like 
kind of look like an asshole. And after I saw that and I realized like the power that these people have to edit things, because I'm pretty good at, you know, making sure that my point gets across. Here's where I'm at. I'm open. I'm forward. This is what you're going to get. And then seeing this whole thing play out in a completely different manner. I, I go, I'm done with this. This is crazy with, with the power you give them. And I mean, you sign your life away. I just, I didn't really expect them to do that. And I've heard stories, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, okay. Like how different can it be? And then it's, it's really different. I mean, you think about it, they're, they're making you do these interviews. You have to change, you're like the last day you're there. They want to change some storyline. They make you change into your outfit from the first or second day you're on the really? beach. Really? And then you go back and you re-interview and they're asking you these questions huh. in your old outfit like you're there on that first day <laughs> or that second day because second day. it doesn't Monsters. fit the storyline and they got to change it. And everybody does Every? it. Every single person did that. You bring, okay, we need you to bring this outfit, bring this outfit. They'd have somebody come pick out your outfit so you're wearing the same thing. So you interview, you get you to answer the question the exact way they wanted it and just seeing this whole reality thing to where they can change these like, they can pick who they want to look good, who they want to be the quote unquote villain and the hero and change what really happened. And I was like, OK, I'm not giving someone that power. Again. So what you're saying is the NFL and Bachelor are not too far uh, on different ends of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah, pretty similar. Honestly, yeah. you know, it's contract uh, negotiation sounds like Bachelor in Paradise. You just bring honestly, out pretty, pretty much that. Yeah, you try to make the guy look as good as you can. The, the team wants to look bad. So they drive the price down. It's honestly pretty similar. Was it worth the Instagram fame? Um, I didn't. I had a I had a private Instagram back when I went on. I didn't even know. I didn't even know people. I didn't even know there was. I had no idea you could get money for Instagram. I didn't know what an influencer was in 2017. Dude, I made 10 million bucks in the in the in the NFL. Why do I need to go on Bachelor in Paradise, Bachelor for an Instagram fame? I made 10 million bucks. I invested my money. I am completely fine. Trust me, I'm I'm doing well. I'm collecting my my checks, my pension, all that. You know, nine years. No idea about influencers. No idea about that stuff. I do it because there's products I like, and I do have this audience's platform now, and I will make some money off of that. But I work with brands that I like, and Mm -hmm. but at the time, I had no idea about it. If you would tell me, I'd go on the show, get hurt, like not emotionally, (laughs) physically, I would tell you. No, thanks. You know, looking back, I wouldn't do it again, but uh, you know, I made a lot of good friends out of it. All right. You're a well, smart, maybe, uh, like you're a smart guy. So you, you've invested your money and everything for, for those yeah. who are watching, like if, say there's a young athlete out there who, who tunes in, they watch this. Uh, what advice would you give them? Because, you know, you think of a pro athlete, a lot of times guys just, it comes in, it goes immediately out. And by the time they're done playing, they're trying to hang on at the, at the very end. Cause they've got nothing left. You did not do that. What kind of advice do you have for a young athlete who aspires to, you know, reach the level that you did? You just first, first things first, you can't, I had a roommate, you know, me and Kurt Coleman were roommates for my first in Philadelphia. You know, I I spent thousand, 1200 bucks a month. I had one car and here's what happens. A lot of guys, their family members get them. And I come from an underprivileged family as well, but you have to a lot. Okay. You can get away with this much. You have to have a budget. You know, you have to make smart investments You before you have to save X amount of everything you're making because you have to realize that we're getting paid 17 weeks. Right. So people get these checks and think you're going to you're making these checks all year round or your whole life. But firstly, 17 years, you're not making these checks the whole year. You're getting 17 of them. So it's different. You now, if you read like the richest man in Babylon, rich dad, poor dad, I read a lot of self-improvement books to make sure, you know, I'm doing everything. You know, you got to save X amount. Like they say, save 10% of everything you're earning. With us, we got to save 90% of what we're earning because our earning potential at a young age is so high. Our earning potential falls off a cliff after we're done. And I'm a college graduate. A lot of guys didn't graduate college. You're missing this time in your career field. If you're, you know, if you're a salesman, you're in medical device sales, you're a doctor, you're going to keep making more money every year until you're old. If you're making 500 grand a year, you're fine. But if you're making 500 grand a year for seven, eight years, you know, that's different. You got to save it. And you got to use compound interest. The law of compounding will save you. Invest your money, use the compound interest to your benefit. And that's what I did. 
you know, I made I've made smart investments, I've made bad investments, but mo- more often than not, you know, I've I've won, and that's really helped me to be in the position I am today, where I don't really have to worry about that that much. And, and you don't you don't see that with a lot of a lot of guys. Maybe more today, but back in even 2010, 2011, when you were drafted, like that's just wasn't even a thing. It's not as known right now. All the investment opportunities and different opportunities you can go. It's more yeah, but the numbers time. the numbers are skewed because like the, okay. the people say, oh, ninety percent of these football players are broke after they're playing. They use numbers from every player that steps on a field mm-hmm. as a football player. If you go back and you say every guy that played seven years in the NFL, just say eight years, six years even, the numbers will probably be 90% of them are successful. Real, You got to realize that if the NFL has a 401k plan to where you get a double match, you can put in $18,000 and you get that double matched. That by itself, you should be fine. By the time you're 50 years old, if you play eight years, you'll have six grand a month until the day you die as a pension. You have a 401k that will at least be, by the time you're 55, 10 million bucks. You have an annuity. You have a severance. You have a capital accumulation plan. All in all, by the time you're 50 or 55, if you don't save a dime, you will come out at 50, 55 with 15 to 20 million dollars if you play eight years in the NFL. It doesn't matter. So, like these numbers, when they try to make these athletes look bad, yeah, there's a lot of guys. You got Antoine Walker, you got guys that have spent hundreds of millions of dollars. And those are the guys that everybody sees. But most of the guys are smart. Most of the guys will save their money. And if they're a guy that has played and has earned money, they will be a lot more successful than, than the stats that they take. Every guy that took that, that is signed an NFL football team, a guy plays one year. Oh, this guy's broke. He played, he played two years. He didn't make money. He didn't get to a second contract. He it's tough. If you don't make your second contract and you just played, even if you played three years, you didn't get the pension. You know, it's it's a different ball game, and it's all different. It matters how long you played, how much you earn. Instead of trying to make these guys, I mean, yes, guys need to know better, but like the numbers are so skewed, yeah. and that's something that like pisses me off because people are like, oh, he was a football player, he probably didn't save any of his. Like, no, dude, look at the real numbers. Look at the retirement that you would get just by playing, and you're going to be more successful than 95 percent of the people in the country. Was that talked about a lot in the locker room? Like, it, like you know how some people are like, hey, you got to have a good vet when you come in. and uh, Or, you know, for, for on-the-field success. But it was also, was there like, hey, rookie, I'm going to tell you how it goes here. I'm a five-year vet, blah, blah, blah. Was that a lot talked about in the locker room when you were there? They do a good job. Like, there's this NFL rookie symposium for, like, all the drafted rookies. They'll tell you all this stuff, and they'll bring guys in, and these experts that come in, these financial guys. Nobody cares at that point. Like, I'm not paying attention. Like, these guys are up on the stage talking. Like, these guys from Goldman Sachs, whatever, look, showing you these calculators. I'm flipping through my playbook. I'm like, dude, you're not worried about it. Because first thing you got to do is you got to last, and you got to make the money. But you definitely know you'll learn from these guys. Here's something that hurts, guys, is say your best friend's the first-round draft pick, right? And you're the seventh-round draft pick. You start hanging out with this guy, and yeah. you see the lifestyle he's living. I saw, saw this happen a lot, guy in my class. These guys are buying Escalades and stuff and cars like the first-round guy. There was a few, four or five guys from my class. What are, you, what are you guys doing? Like, we just got our – you got 50K to sign? My signing bonus is public record, but I got $475,000 assigned as a fourth round draft pick in 2010. Right. But then you realize I get my check. It's 300 K, you know, so you got 300 K, but then the the league minimum at that point was only 300 K. So you got to realize you weren't making that much. And then from that, from that check, from that league minimum, I mean, you're bringing home 150, you're playing taxes in every state you're playing in. So you might walk around with 400, 500 K. There was guys that spent 150 grand on a car that were drafted behind me. Their whole, their whole signing was 150 grand, fifth round guy, sixth round guy on an Escalade tricked out. And I'm just like, wow. Yeah. It's insane because their best friends were the big name guys that you could see them doing it. They see the first round guy, the second round guy, they got some guarantees. They got some big money. You have to live within your means and you got to really take a realistic look at your financial situation and what you want to do. Is it more important for you to drive a nice car to be able to like take care of your family a little bit? And, you know, maybe instead of driving the Escalade, you're, you know, you're driving the the Hyundai Sonata or something like that. (laughs) Until the second contract. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. The the wild, the wild thing about it is too, 
I, I'm like very much of the belief, and you, you said this at the very beginning, and I don't think we want to hold you for, for long here, but the idea of, you know, the greats can play in any system. And you think like maybe it's the top 5% of players who are in the league. Maybe it's a smaller percentage that can make that work. You know, you talk about the difference between being smart with your money, being able to stay in the league five, six, seven years. And then you think about like, what happens to that rookie who doesn't hit it off well with a position coach, who in theory could become one of those five, six, seven senior guys who could have that generational wealth to set up not only their family currently, but like down the road. And that guy picks up an injury or that guy doesn't hit it off well and kind of gets blackballed by his position coach. And he's out of the league, you know, before training camp ends. It's just on the human side of things. It is just so staggering to think about how one or two small decisions or interactions can have that massive of an impact on, on not just the player's life, but everyone else around them. That the perspective you gave here is just like, uh, my, my mind right now is just a little bit blown when you think about it from that perspective. Oh, it's huge. And people call these guys from college busts and stuff like he never panned out. I'm like, OK, how many of those guys, how many of these number one picks, number two, like guys that just ended up in the wrong system that, that just didn't didn't hit off in that system? But you'll see it, like I said, with these these superstar players that come to a difference. You're doing something else. You're not doing the same thing. It's like, say, you take a, a stock trader. And, you know, you move him into sales, you know, and, you know, OK, this guy is just killing it and trading. But then you move him to sales. This guy can't sell anything. Like, what's up? I thought this guy thought we had a winner here. You know, like we paid this guy X amount of dollars. Like, that's not what he does. He's not a he's not a salesman. He's a trader. So when you're asking these guys to do different things and, and it's it varies in the, the the amount of error, the room for error is so small that you, if you're going to be that elite group, everybody's close. And the guys, the one thing that blew me away, the guys that are, say, a pro bowler versus the guy that's just a normal guy was mm-hmm. literally so different. It was just the consistency and the tiniest minute details that you could find. I signed with the Patriots coming out in um, 2015. You know, I played three years in Jacksonville after leaving Philly. Jacksonville offered me a good deal to come back. I had a few other offers. I should, in hindsight, I should have stayed in Jacksonville. Had a great career there. The coaches loved me. I really had. I really went from Philly, and I reinvented myself in Jacksonville. I went from from a from a guy that was like, you know, okay, he's. I don't know if we can count on him. To the guy that the coaches were asking me questions about the plays, about the coverages, and I mean, so when you have that, it's tough to leave it. You know, you, you you've really set in place what people think about you. And you got a you know a a, a great you know team there. Uh, at least, at least as far as like your position on the team, I signed with New England because I'm like, okay, I, I want a chance to win a Super Bowl. I want to play with Tom Brady. I want to play with Gronk. You know, they just signed Martellus Bennett. They drafted a guy in the fourth round and tight end, AJ Derby, and Michael Williams, another big tight end that played several years in the league. And my agent's like, you sure you want to do this? And for me, I'm like, I think in my in my mind, I still, you know, I, I'm like, hey, I'm one of the best tight ends in the league, and that's how you got to think. So I get there and like watching a guy like Rob Gronkowski, you know, I'm like, I really want to see like why he's so special and just watching. I'm just watching him and watching him in practice, watching him in tape, watching the way he works in the weight room and stuff. I'm like you wouldn't, if you didn't know who he was looking at him versus like Martellus Bennett, you'd probably think Martellus Bennett was the hall of famer because there was, it's just so small and there's just so like, he's in this system. He's got this, thing down but like the guy like the routes weren't crazy he was what set him apart in my opinion was just his blocking the guy was I've never seen a tight end block like him hands inside was an offensive tackle that could run and play tight end but as far as receiving wise routes were no different hands weren't were good but just made plays and I mean as much as I wanted to really dissect and and figure this out it was like an experiment to me i loved watching these guys what made these guys different what's the secret here in new england you know i'm coming from jacksonville in new england i'm like trying to figure this out and it's so small and minuscule it's just literally these small little details and like routines and habits and i'm just trying to figure out what the difference is and honestly it's like hey he just made plays and i'm trying to really put a word to it and i really after just being there and experiencing him, Tom Brady, all these different guys, I, I still couldn't figure it out. Hmm. All right. We'll get you out of here. I got one more question. It's the most important question we're going to ask you. The Ronnie Brown run 
where he got caught up at the goal line and just threw the ball away. What was yeah. the reaction in the locker room? What the hell was that play? There's a lot of people that messed up on that play, and I was one of them. Um, a couple offensive linemen messed up too, but uh, Ronnie should never thrown that ball. But I think that was my best game as an Eagle, that game in San Francisco. I think I had like I had a touchdown. I had yep. three catches for 60 yards. One of Not my best. I think I had one or two better games, but close. And um, then I knew I had this one play in the playbook to where it was a it was a run. You hand it off to Ronnie, and he takes two steps. It's kind of like that Tebow jump pass. Mm-hmm. And then he's gonna he's gonna pass it to me. Okay, oh, so I got so you were you were gonna be on the other end. I of that. was gonna be the touchdown. I was gonna be the guy that caught the <laughs> touchdown. It was a Tebow pop pass to me. Handoff. Tebow pop pass to me. Offensive lineman gets jacked up. One dude falls down. Right. Plays over. Me, I leave a little bit quicker. I should have jammed the defensive end to give him a second. But the way I saw the coverage, it goes, it's wide open. If he gets the handoff, it'll be open. You know, looking back, you know, hindsight's 20-20. So, I mean, there was a couple of different things that could have happened on that play. Ronnie should never have thrown the ball, but Ronnie's trying to make a play. He's getting tackled. He's falling down. He just throws the ball, and they call a fumble. Were you open? I was open, yeah. I was open, but nobody blocked. So he didn't have an opportunity to really throw the ball. And honestly, I'll take – a good part of the responsibility for that play and a couple offensive linemen should take it as well. Obviously Ronnie shouldn't throw the ball, but put him in a bad position. Didn't have much time to think. So, uh, you know, it's throwback Thursday. I tweeted something about that today. And I'm like, yo, I just want to take, you know, take this time to apologize to Ronnie, you know, let Eagles fans know that it, it wasn't all his fault there. And that there, there was a, it was, it was a pass to me. And the play was just from jump street. It was just toast. It was gone. I'm so. glad we can finally, finally put that to bed. Well, Clay, you've been, you've been more than gracious with your time. There it is right there for anyone yeah. that, that remembers Ronnie Brown getting tackled. Yeah. Clay's over there somewhere. Uh, who's yeah. that big 68? I don't even know who that is. Yeah, the offensive environment on the ground. Evan yeah. Matthews is still up. Selleck's blocking. He gets rolled up on. Uh, Selleck's down. Yeah. 68 is, but he just got railroaded. Um, <laughs> Clay, we've... We asked for 15 minutes. You gave us 45. I I appreciate it. Fun guys. Yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. Uh, We'll have to come back and do it again sometime once the Eagles start playing. Also, I didn't even get into it. You tweeted that you thought if the Jaguars would have that Miles Jack fumble in the AFC Championship would have actually been called a fumble. You think they beat the Eagles, or you think they get the Super Bowl? Nobody was beating Nick Foles. Okay, he had the touch of God. Blake Bortles was definitely not beating (laughs) Nick Foles. No, okay. I I um I was a little bit off for some reason. I was thinking that that was uh, the Falcons' year, and um, oh, okay. I, I I thrown off a little bit. But Nick, Fo- nobody was beating Nick Foles. All a right. quick two minutes, um, Nick Foles story. If you guys have time, oh, we got more um, than enough time for Nick Foles story. Time for a Nick Foles a story. Yeah, yeah. Got to give a shout out to Nick. So the guy, this is the type of guy Nick was, right? So we'd have Thursday practice in Philly at the Novacare Complex. We finished Thursdays early. Um. Fridays, I'm sorry, call them fast Fridays. And then we'd go over to Selleck's house and you'd have a barbecue. Um, we'd hang out. He had a private chef come in and cook everybody food. It was cool. So we get out of practice. My Wi-Fi is down over at my place, just down the street. So I plug my phone in or my iPad in in the, uh, in the tight end room to download plays, download so I can watch some film before I go to bed. Go over to Selleck's. So we hang out there for like four hours, just hanging with the guys. I mean, we're talking some ball, just hanging out. John Dornboss is over there doing magic, showing us like his newest magic trick. We're like, oh, wow, Dornboss, you're crazy, man. You know, it was a fun time. We had a blast over there. You know, Todd Harriman, all those guys, everybody's, everybody's having fun. I go back about four hours later. I think I even went home first. So it was maybe five hours after practice, like eight o'clock. I walk into the tight end room to grab my iPad just to go home, you know, flip through some plays, you know, make sure I know exactly my, my assignment, what I got, who I'm going, whatever. Nick Foles is still in the tight. He like, he liked to watch film in the tight end room. He's still in the room. He hasn't left. The guy has been there for five hours after practice. He's watching films. He's drawing up the coverages on the board. I go, Nick, what are you doing? go home. He's like, you know, man, I just want to make sure, you know, that I know the right coverages and like, um, you know, who, who we got, like on when they blitz and, you know, I'm just going over. I'm like, dude, you do this every week. You know? Yeah, man. You know, I got to make sure that I know that, you know, I go, Nick, you're not going to play. This is a, (laughs) this is a moment. This was a time when Michael Vick was our starting quarterback. 
And Foles is still doing all this. Wow. This guy's a backup preparing like it's the Super Bowl. When Carson Wentz goes down and I and everybody's like, oh, the season's over. This is, oh, dude, they don't know. Nick Foles is probably more prepared than Carson Wentz. Never seen anything like it. This I go, the Eagles are probably going to be even better. And obviously Nick, after that year, his career didn't go the way he wanted. But the guy is the hardest worker, the most prepared dude you'll ever see. And I just wanted to share that story. That. 100% factual story. Nick Foles, the guy's not even playing five hours after practice, is in the film room drawing up plays and coverages. Insane. If if you never go back on The Bachelor, you never do reality TV ever again, impressions might be down the line. That was actually a very good Nick Foles impression. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. No, yeah. Nick's my guy. And if you want to know some uh, another fun fact about Nick Foles, I got two for you. Nick Foles' first ever touchdown pass was to Clay Harbor. Oh. Okay, that's a fun fact. Trivia. Nobody's going to guess that. <laughs> I promise you. <laughs> Except for you guys. Yeah. I mean, um, I've never seen a man chug a beer faster in my life. Really? It's, really? If you ever get Nick Foles on your podcast or whatever, you know, after he's done playing, I don't know if he even drinks anymore, but I was out in Austin, Texas with him where he was from one day. And like, I'm like, I can chug beer, right? But I'm a better shotgunner. I'm from a small country town. We'd have bonfires. We'd drink beer. We'd do all that stuff, country music, whatever. So Nick's talking trap. I'm like, dude, there's no way you're going to chug a beer faster than me, bro. And it was literally one drink. Oh, so he did it upstairs? He didn't do it downstairs? Yeah, 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 yeah. So he, he was unbelievable. What's the, wait, what, what's downstairs? You know what, what what's downstairs, downstairs is. I don't, know, I don't know what he's talking about. Uh, Big Dick Nick? Oh. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Jesus yeah, no, he, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's what he's known for, too, but... You know, we'll keep it PG. The beer chugging. <laughs> Nick Foles, never seen a guy chug a beer faster than him. All right. That's wild. Clay, once again, man, thank you so much for coming on. We'll definitely get you back on. Maybe maybe Jaguars, Eagles, the Clay Harbor Bowl. Ooh, I would love that. All right. Clay awesome, man. Let's do it. Sounds good. Thanks so much for the hey, time. Yeah. Awesome. Have yeah, appreciate it, guys. Have a good weekend. You too. Later. How about that? How about that? Guy gracious with his time, gracious with his stories, gracious with his financial knowledge. You I know, didn't think I, I, I didn't have, I didn't Kyle, think Harbor was going to have a financial conversation with us, but now I feel smarter. And now I feel like I'm not yeah. investing or saving enough money. He pretty much just provided you five separate posts. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. I mean, like realistically, yeah. you don't have to go on Twitter the rest of the day. You've got five <laughs> separate posts now. Uh, you could, I mean, the content aggregation potential here off of that interview is we could is go astounding. from people we could go from NBC sports philly we could go from the athletic to barstool we could cover the entire everywhere ent- entire tabloid uh sphere let's call it um you know yeah you, i got when when you when you think of it though like that that whole thing the financial thing that kind of blew my mind when you yeah. think of like the the margins for players it's it, so often Fans don't think of the human side because you go, this guy's getting paid a lot of money. But what he just did in a way was really break that narrative in a, in a big way mm-hmm. because you see the signing bonus a guy gets and he breaks down for you how much that really comes out to be. And if that guy you know goes out and frivolously spends it and then blows out his knee or something, like he's done. You think about it. It's just absolutely – it's it's wild. Mm-hmm. Um, that, was, that was something. Clay yeah. Harbor, what a guy. What a freaking yeah. guy, man. Yeah, it's a good dude. Uh, we'll definitely have Clay on back for the uh, the Clay Harbor Bowl. I, I had a lot more topics. I thought we only had 15 minutes with him, but I think that's a good bow I think. on the entire uh, on the entire episode, you know, 75, 90% of it being Clay. So uh, with that being said, thanks for tuning in to Crossing Broadcast. If you loved what Clay said, if you loved what me, Russ said, blah, 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 hit subscribe. Hit uh, the thumbs up. Make this make this algorithm purr, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you on Tuesday. Have a great weekend. 